Well, praise the Lord, everybody. I am Evangelist Janice Nelson, and I want to welcome you to season three of Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole, a weekly women's Bible study podcast. Today is Sabbath Sunday, July 31st, the year of our Lord, 2022. In this Bible study podcast, we address various issues that break the spirit of women and then seek to promote women's spiritual wholeness and well-being with lessons learned from the Word of God. Ladies, today we begin our, or we continue our Bible study on the book of Ezekiel. This is a book that many women may not want to read. First, because it is a difficult book to read, and second, because many identify Ezekiel as a misogynist, meaning someone who despises or is strongly prejudiced against women. They've arrived at, at this conclusion based on the sexually explicit imagery in several chapters of the book of Ezekiel, particularly in chapters 16 and 23, because of some of the images are violent and abusive against women. It is going to take us quite a bit of time to work our way through the entire book of Ezekiel, and we will do chapters 16 and 23 together because of the nature of the text. But I hope that you'll hang in there with me as we work our way through this interesting text, because there is more to Ezekiel's sexually violent images than that which first meets the eye. I fully recognize that this text is and its long history of interpretation has done some serious and irrevocable harm to women. But we must still question what drove Ezekiel to write such sexually violent imagery. And what were the historical, sociological, and cultural forces in play at the time of Ezekiel's writing that make these images symbolically and rhetorically powerful today? So when we come back, we're going to continue the process of unpacking the book of Ezekiel. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. Today, we continue our Bible study on the book of Ezekiel, examining texts from chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through chapter 3, verses uh, verse 21, which is concerned with the relationship and responsibility between God, prophet, and people. I'm not going to read all of the verses of the chapters because they are rather long, but I will refer to them as we work our way through the text for your future reference, and I will either read from the King James Version of the Bible or the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Okay, uh, we ended our study of Ezekiel chapter one last week with the prophet Ezekiel having seen the likeness of the divine glory and falling on his face in awe and humble submission. And he hears the voice of someone speaking in Ezekiel chapter one, verse 24, above the firmament. Then in verse 28, he heard a voice of one that spake. 
But notice that the voice of the one speaking with the sound and the vision was unidentified. As Ezekiel stood at the threshold of the throne room, he saw the likeness of the glory of God in front of him, but the voice came from elsewhere. It is possible that God addressing Ezekiel may have reflected the design and function of the Ben Axis throne room, which would have prevented a petitioner from facing the monarch or king directly until his presence was acknowledged. Now, at the end of chapter 2, verse 28b, through chapter 3, verse 21 of Ezekiel, we read an exceptionally long five-part commissioning speech. This speech seems repetitious, but it is important to note that each section of the speech develops a new aspect of Ezekiel's role as a prophet and lends itself to the enormity of the task that Ezekiel was confronted with. So let's unpack Ezekiel's commission. God's first words to Ezekiel are a commission. In chapter 2, verse 3, God said to Ezekiel, and he said to me, Son of man, I sent thee to the children of Israel to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day. The word sin is a verb that was used in Old Testament call narratives. You can see Ezekiel, excuse me, Exodus chapters three through four for that. In examining Ezekiel's role as a prophet, the people in the exile came to know him as a prophet living amongst them. The children of Ezekiel is plural and was possibly a reference to both the northern kingdom of Israel, which was destroyed in 722 BC, and the southern kingdom of Judah, which was resisting Babylonian control in Ezekiel's time. If this was the case, then the reference to the children of Israel included the entire historical sweep of Israel's rebellion, beginning with the ancestors and continuing with the children who, in verse 3, are described as a rebellious house, and in verse 4, are described as imprudent children and stiff-hearted. The rebels may have also included Judah's allies who gathered in Jerusalem and plotted rebellion against Babylon at the beginning of Ezekiel's ministry, according to Jeremiah chapter 27. The reference, therefore, anticipates Ezekiel's oracles against Ammon, Moab, Edom, Tyre, and Sidon according to Ezekiel chapters 25 through 28 and 35. Okay, so these were, you know, allies that were plotting rebellion against Babylon. Whether the reference of a rebellious house was to Judah alone or to Judah and his allies, the term includes political and religious connotations. Narrative calls typically include God's reassurance to remove any doubt or fear of the one called. So in chapter 2, verses 6 and uh, 7, the word of God says, And you, a mortal, do not be afraid of them and do not be afraid of their words. 
Though briars and thorns surround you and you live among scorpions, do not be afraid of their words and do not be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And God commands Ezekiel, you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. These verses contain a couple of metaphors applied to action. The most important metaphor is briars and thorns, which along with scorpions signify the hostile audience of the people or the hostile audience that Ezekiel would face. The image God is putting forth is that of a people who are disposed or eager to fight or engaged in hostile and bitter opposition. A people aggressively defiant and belligerent. As such, the metaphor briars and thorns are not meant for the people, but more likely describes Ezekiel's own thorny ability to protect himself against scorpions. The author is likened to a thorn bush surrounded by another, the scorpion plant, a type of thorn bush whose flowers resemble scorpions. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 5, and Isaiah chapter 10, verse 17, thorn bushes serve as a type of natural barbed wire in military and agricultural context. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 5, the protective quality of thorns is evoked in metaphors of divine protection where the Holy One threatens to remove the protective thorn hedge surrounding the vineyard of Israel. God's reassurance attributes to Ezekiel the resistance, protective characteristic of thorns. It also includes a promise of divine protection and two admonitions against fear. In verse six, God says, do not be afraid of them and do not be afraid of their words. Do not be afraid of their words and do not be dismayed at their looks for they are a rebellious house. Then God tells Ezekiel, open your mouth and eat what I give you. Ezekiel says, I looked and a hand was stretched out to me and a written scroll was in it. He spread it before me and had writing on the front and on the back and written on it were words of lamentation and mourning and woe. Nothing in this passage of scripture equates the content of the scroll with Ezekiel's future message. Eating the scroll and receiving the divine words are two different stages in the commissioning process. The reason behind God telling Ezekiel to eat the scroll is to test the prophet's obedience. In verse 8, God says, but you, mortal, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Notice that God first established the idea of Ezekiel's obedience and then states that he demonstrates his obedience by eating the scroll. 
there are two different types of internalizations of the word in our text. First, in chapter two, verses eight um, through chapter three, verse three, when Ezekiel eats the scroll, he takes it into his belly. Second, in chapter three, verse 10, Ezekiel listens to the divine words in order to speak it. He takes it into his heart and his ears. When Ezekiel eats the scroll, he takes into himself, into his inner being, the fate of the people of Israel, not divine judgment, but judgment itself. And it takes on the similarities of the priestly rite of ordination described in Leviticus chapters eight and nine, when the priest ate the sin offering and took on the guilt of the people to absolve them of it. In a similar manner, when Ezekiel ingested the symbolic representation of their sin condition, he was retaining his priestly identification with his people. However, the fact that Ezekiel eats a scroll and not a sacrifice further evidenced what we talked about last week, and that is that while in exile, Ezekiel was separated from the temple, unable to perform the duties of a priest to remove guilt. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, we read, They'll read, the spirit lifted me up and bore me away. I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. I came to the exiles at Tel Aviv or Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv, T-E-L hyphen A-B-I-B, if I didn't pronounce that right, and lived by the river Shabar. And I sat there among them stunned for seven days so that what was once sweet left Ezekiel's belly full of mourning and pain. After God tests Ezekiel's obedience in chapter two, verses, verse eight through chapter three, verse three, he commands him to go and speak to the house of Israel. And Ezekiel chapter three, verse one. And remember that the house of Israel is a rebellious house that transgressed against God. We read earlier that they were imprudent children and stiff hearted. This was no easy commission that God gave Ezekiel. In fact, the reference to a people of obscure speech and difficult language captures Ezekiel's cosmopolitan context because he and his fellow exiles not only lived those who spoke the language or lived with those who spoke the language, but they also hear the language of many nations, which alluded to the raging nations of the Psalm 48 who rebelled against God and his anointed king. If we go back to the image of God in chapter one that we discussed last week of God enthroned as ruler of the universe, Ezekiel's commission tactically suggests that even these alien nations would heed the divine word, but that God's own people refused to listen. 
Nevertheless, God required Ezekiel to continue speaking to the people and God equipped Ezekiel for this difficult task by making his face and forehead hard against the face and foreheads of the people, meaning Ezekiel had to face the people head on, even though the best he could hope for was resistance. Whenever Ezekiel hears God's word, he is obliged to take it into his heart and ears and then to proclaim it. Ezekiel chapter three, verses 10 through 11 says, he said to me, mortal, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear in your ears. Then go to the exiles, to your people and speak to them. Say to them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. This implies that the divine message will be revealed in the future. The focus of Ezekiel's call thus far has not been the message, but to define the relationships associated with the task, the relationship between God and his chosen people who have been characterized as rebellious and hard-headed. The commission also defines Ezekiel's relationship. He has to demonstrate that he is not the rebellious, not like the rebellious people he will soon prophesize to. Yet at the same time, he has to be able to identify with them by eating the scroll and sharing in their suffering. He has to be able to endure the rejection of the people that God has endured and at the same time, remain in solidarity with the exiles who, verse 11, which we just read, calls them your people or Ezekiel's people. The extent to which Ezekiel identifies with his people is clarified in the account of the symbolic acts in Ezekiel chapter 22 and chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 17. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 12, Ezekiel is ushered away from the divine presence by the Spirit. And in verse 14, the prophet returns to the exiles in, at the Shabar River. There is no definite article in our text used for the word spirit. So it may have been the wind of the storm that is being referred to here. To this return of Ezekiel to the exiles comes as a bit of a surprise to me because it is not clear to me in the text that he had left them during the course of the vision in chapter 1, verse 1. Also because elsewhere in the book of Ezekiel, when he is carried by the Spirit, a change in location is explicitly described, such as in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 3, or chapter 11, verse 1, and chapter 24, and chapter 43, verse 5. Likewise, when reading Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, you get a sense that the prophet is carried away from the sight of his encounter because he hears the sound of the wind from the living creature behind him. 
Also, Ezekiel chapter two, verse two suggests that Ezekiel had been carried into the storm cloud when the spirit filled him to his feet. But in Ezekiel chapter three, verse 12, the spirit ushers him away from the divine presence and back to the exiles. The Bible says that after these experiences, the vision, the receiving of his commission, the testing, and then the reassurance by God that Ezekiel sat silent for seven days. There are several ideas as to why he sat silent, but I'm going to go with the one that to me is most biblically sound. And that is that this seven day period was one more stage in his initiation as a prophet. His silence would have been comparable to that of the priestly ordinance or ordination in Leviticus chapter 8, verse 33, whose seven-day period of seclusion prepared them for the next stage of their initiation in which they atone for the guilt of the people, according to Leviticus chapter 9, verses 1 through 21. In Ezekiel chapter 3, Verses 16 through 21, Ezekiel's role is defined as that of a sentinel or watchman, and it is derived from military context. Sentinels were lookouts. They were posted to warn the town of any coming invasion. Ezekiel chapter 33 verses 1 through 9 provide a clear job description of a sentinel, if you're interested in reading that. But a sentinel was selected by the community from within the ranks to perform as a watchman. When the sentinel sounded the alarm, it was up to the inhabitants of the city to respond and to get out of harm's way. If the sentinel failed to sound the alarm or warning, the penalty was death. In ordinary circumstances, the sentinel was under the authority of the community. However, in Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 16b through 21, Ezekiel stood under the authority and command of God. And whenever we heard a word, he heard a word from God, he was obliged to proclaim it, whether the people heeded the word or not. Thus, in Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 16b through 21, uh, reiterates the initial terms of Ezekiel's call, which is that he is to speak whether or not the people choose to hear. What is important here is that Ezekiel's responsibility for conveying the word was underscored as follows. He stands under penalty of death if he failed to sound the alarm. Notice that Ezekiel's obligation to his community is worked out in the style of biblical case law, which uses hypothetical examples to explore the range of situations in which a legal ruling applies. He is held accountable for both the wicked man and the righteous man. Thus, two men are dramatically opposed to each other. One is heedless of communal and covenantal norms, while the other conforms to these norms and lives in right relationship with God. As opposites, the two terms, wicked man and righteous man, encompasses every individual in the community, thereby asserting that Ezekiel is responsible for every individual in the community, not just a few who will listen, but for everyone. 
Chapter 3, verses 18 through 19 examines the consequences of Ezekiel's role concerning the wicked man. In verse 18, Ezekiel fails to convey the warning of imminent danger, while in verse 19, he succeeds in delivering the message. In both cases, the outcome is the same. The wicked may remain in his wickedness and die. The only difference is whether Ezekiel has sounded the warning if the a former case in the former case. If the former if in the formal case he has not sounded the warning, God holds him responsible for the wicked man's death. Verses 20 through 21 describe the case of the righteous man who is about to sin. Now, ladies, you know that stage where you are thinking about doing something that you know goes against God's word. There are the people we are talking, these are the people we are talking about, the ones who are about to sin. They know what they are about to do is wrong, but they are considering doing it anyway. In the case of the wicked man, Ezekiel is held responsible for delivering the warning, but he is not accountable for the person's response. In the case of the righteous man, if he heeds the warning, Ezekiel saves his own life as well as the life of the righteous. If Ezekiel fails to warn the righteous one of the impending danger, then again, Ezekiel will be held accountable for the death of the righteous and he will also die. Ezekiel admonished the righteous man not to turn from his righteous ways and disobey God's command because if he did, he would die. God does not deliberately set out to trip up the righteous and bring them crashing to the ground, but he does leave opportunities for sin in the path of men and women so that if their heart is bent on sin, they may do so and thus earn their condemnation. The idea that God tests the fidelity of the righteous is a well-known biblical theme, most graphically presented in the prose story of the book of Job. And in the Lord's prayer, there is a petition that God preserve the believer in the midst of such a test. Thank you for tuning in to season three of Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. If this message has been a blessing to you and you want to support it, we have several ways in which you can do that. First, via the Tithely app at Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. Second, you may donate at Givelify, G-I-V-E-L-I-F-Y dot uh, com. You may donate to Broken Vessels, hyphen, Mended and Whole, or you may mail whatever gifts of love you feel led to give to Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. We are a 501c3 nonprofit religious organization located at P.O. Box 34637, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Please join me next week as we continue our Bible study of the book of Ezekiel right here on Broken Vessels, Mended and Whole. And don't forget to check in with me on Facebook Live at Evangelist Janice, that's J-A-N-I-S, Nelson, today at 12 noon Pacific Daylight Time. In the meantime, Take good care and may God continue to bless you. Amen.